Welcome to Worldview, a foreign affairs podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Chris Dooley. His opponent in November's election labelled him Sleepy Joe, but the first 100 days of Joe Biden's presidency of the US has been anything but sleepy. Since assuming office in January, Biden has taken more presidential actions, that is signed more executive orders, presidential memos and proclamations than any president since Franklin D. Roosevelt. That's according to an analysis done by the American Presidency Project, an online archive. He has unveiled multi-trillion dollar stimulus packages designed to lift millions of Americans out of poverty, spending programs strongly opposed by the Republican Party. Some argue, though, that while the Biden presidency has brought a marked change in tone from the one that went before, in some areas, particularly foreign policy, Joe Biden is simply carrying on where Donald Trump left off. On the line now to give us her take on Biden's first 100 days in office is our Washington correspondent, Suzanne Lynch. Um, Suzanne, a word that keeps popping up in discussions about Joe Biden's presidency is radical. Many people are saying he's proving to be a far more radical president than anticipated. Do you think Biden's first 100 days merits that description? I think it does in the sense that what's been so interesting about this 100 days is that Biden ran as a centrist candidate. He ran against uh, more radical candidates like Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren. And his argument during the Democratic primary was that, you know, vote for someone like me. I can I can appeal to kind of middle ground voters across the country to disaffected Republicans who are never going to vote for a Democratic party that looks that appears to them socialism like socialism. Um, And yet here we are that actually once he was uh, in power, um, he seems to have gravitated more to the left uh, than many people had expected. Um, now, it's all relative. It's also He also benefits, if you like, from the break with Donald Trump. I mean, in one sense, we can't judge the first 100 days of Biden without thinking that this is the first 100 days without Donald Trump. Um, so in that sense, you know, if, for example, if he had followed somebody like Obama, it would have been a very, very different conversation. Um, but I think undoubtedly uh, there is merit to that description. I think he has uh, introduced policies uh, that suggest that this is a president who is going to go- govern more for working people, um, is prepared to, to an extent to stand up to American corporations and um, basically to show America that government and the state has a positive role to play in society. And what for you has stood out as the key actions he has taken so far? I think it's it's the, on the economic front. Um, and sometimes, you know, this is quite technical, it's quite turgid, but it, it, it could be profoundly, um, not quite revolutionary, but, but very, uh, very important in terms of how America uh, is run as a country. You know, could we be at a turning point? Let's see. But um, really, since he came into office, he has passed uh, or signed into law uh, three different um, three, three different packages. Well, he's, he's introduced three different packages. The first one was the American Rescue Plan, which was a COVID economic stimulus plan of about two billion, two trillion or so uh, that was uh, negotiated with Congress and he signed in. And then uh, he's unveiled two separate uh, what he's calling infrastructure plans, kind of two parts of that. The first part um, is $2.3 trillion, which is going to be uh, invested in kind of traditional infrastructure projects like roads, bridges, maybe broadband. And a second part of that is what they're kind of calling in the administration a kind of soft infrastructure project, which would uh, concentrate, it's called the American Families Plan. It would con- concentrate on issues, more intangible 
uh, aspects of the economy like um, childcare, paid leave for workers, some free education tuition for community colleges, trying to get people back into the workforce, those kind of things. Um, so altogether, uh, you're looking at, you know, six trillion or so into the US economy. And this comes on top of um, two stimulus packages last year worth around three tr- trillion that were introduced at the height of the COVID pandemic. So you're talking about a huge amount of money into the US economy. Um, there are really interesting debates ongoing here about uh, how uh, how effective and how transformative that could be. Uh, you know, number one is uh, the infrastructure parts still have to be agreed by Congress, and that that's a key uh, caveat. Um, but also, you know, economists on the left even have argued, well, you know, you need to target these uh, these plans for people. You have to make sure that the those most in need of help get the help, and it just doesn't um help people who are just amassing savings during the pandemic etc but it's uh it's very and, and like one example from his the first american rescue plan would be a new uh, tax relief basically an expansion of tax relief for child care child credit and this is costing maybe around 100 billion the estimates are for a year it's a huge amount of money onto this some democrats are arguing that this should be introduced uh in you know indefinitely and uh, people compare it to, you know, the the expansion of Social Security uh, or um, measures for seniors, you know, back in the last century, that this could be like a real turning point for America. Now, at the moment, it's just there for the year for, for a plan. But there's kind of nuggets of uh, of policy that, you know, if introduced and if really backed by the American public and if popular by the American public, you know, do have the potential to really change how the government works in terms of, of state support uh, for people. And these are eye-watering sums of money, Suzanne. How does he propose to uh, fund them? Yeah, and of course, this is always where, where it get, gets uh, difficult. Um, and well, I suppose in two ways, really, to, to put it simplistically. One, um, you know, the, from the deficit. Uh, the deficit, anyway, grew under Trump. But this is one of the real calling cards for Biden. He can successfully, you know, truthfully argue that Republicans, for all their traditional scepticism, about spending, about, um, you know, deficit ballooning. When it came to Trump's plans, they, they were quiet. Uh, so, so that's one part of it. And uh, the second part will be, will be tax increases or, or tax changes in, in some way. And that's where it's going to get uh, tricky. He has uh, suggested um, a, a few measures, one being a change, an increase in the corporate tax rate. Uh, Donald Trump slashed that. He's proposing an increase in that. Um, also changed the way multinational U.S. companies are taxed. That's obviously, you know, alarm bells for Ireland uh, that, you know, that if uh, he's to- America is talking about backing a minimum corporate tax rate, which Ireland is opposed to because it believes that it will penalize countries and, and make it less attractive companies and let make them make it less attractive for them to to move to places like Ireland. And then as well as the corporate tax rates, he's looking at um, higher taxes on the higher, you know, the higher earners. And also, and this has proved controversial, even though it's quite specific, a change the way capital gains tax, um, capital gains income is taxed for higher earners. That That's really got a backlash from, from Wall Street, not surprisingly. So they're kind of the measures. But we're very early days on those discussions. And this is, is where, you know, we're talking about him being radical. Let's see the finished product. You know, that could be watered down. There could be different uh, mechanisms suggested to fund this uh, this program. In saying that, just this week, um, 
Biden was pro- providing an update on the COVID plan and he was asked again about th- these these kind of bold uh, infrastructure and investment plans, how he was going to finance them. And he really kind of returned to the Biden, we know, saying, you know, let's not, you know, what is the advantage of um, of giving corporations any more of a free pass? Now, we know, Suzanne, that um, the Democrats have a small majority in the House of Representatives and and an even slimmer one, the slimmest possible majority uh, in in the Senate, where they rely on the casting vote of the the Vice President, um, Kamala Harris. So does Biden have the support he needs in Congress to get these major spending packages through? Um, Well, this is going to be a huge, the huge question now is how can he bring Congress along with him? Um, to support this. Now, they do have, Democrats do have a majority, a small majority in the House, um, but it's the Senate that's the real tough ask. Uh, and a lot of people are talking about Joe Manchin, who's a centrist Democrat from West Virginia, who really is holding a lot of the cards now uh, in terms of uh, the Democratic Party trying to get everyone on board to vote for what they want. He has opposed some elements of the first uh, spending, the, the American Rescue Plan package. Um, so he's important. Um, the what what will be key is how what mechanism they use to try and get uh, support for this. So there's a, a a technical procedure called budget reconciliation that allows the Senate uh, to move legislation through with just a, a majority of one. A lot of legislation effectively you need a sixty majority, sixty person majority in the Senate to move a lot of legislation through. Um, but this m- mechanism would allow. Uh, Democrats who already use that mechanism to pass the first part of the plan, it would allow them to pass it through with 51. Um, and they're looking at various kind of technical aspects of this. It, it has to show that it's got budgetary applications and it, it's quite um, bureaucratic and procedural. But if they were able to do that, that means they would they would push it through with that, that majority of, of one, which they probably would be able to do with the tie-breaking vote for Harris. But there is no doubt that someone like a Joe Manchin um, Kirsten Cinema for Arizona, some of the Democrats who worry that this is going too to the left uh, would be opposed to that. Uh, the issue, though, for Republicans is that, you know, are again, getting back to what I was talking about, are we at a sea change in America? That polls are showing that, of course, everyone likes, you know, more money, but that, that these plans are quite popular with Americans, not just Democrats, but also about Republicans. This kind of worry about uh, the, the deficit and debt levels in America it seems like it, like it has in a lot of countries at the moment because there's such low interest rates everywhere, seems to have taken a back seat. And um, that means that Republicans who vote against this may come under pressure from their own constituents. Uh, so in a way, I think the way of looking at it really is that, you know, the wind is at the back of Joe Biden at the moment. I think the COVID pandemic has given him political cover. This is the time when America and indeed so many countries around the world are pushing through the enormous amounts of government uh, support uh, in order to try and keep their economies afloat. So he's got that as a kind of reason, if you like. Um, and I think the country is behind him for now. Of course, that might all change. Let's see how this plays out. I mean, there's been a lot of concern, but on on like Larry Summers, for example, the former Treasury Secretary has raised questions about the inflation uh, aspects of this. Is this going to, you know, lead to the overheating of the US economy? And even Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, said this week um, that she believed interest rate increases could be needed to prevent overheating. Now, she kind of went back and clarified that after the markets really responded negatively to that. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's easy making these proposals. Let's see how, it, you know, the ripple through effect in the economy and the economic health of the United States. 
So, you know, we could be at the at the high watermark, if you like, in terms of Biden, the, you know, the radical and the believer in government uh, expansion. Um, you know, A, as you say, he has to get it through Congress. Um, and B, you know, the economy is beginning to reopening now, it's beginning to recalibrate, and um, this might be his big chance to be as radical as, as he wants to be. And apart then from the economy, Suzanne, what are the other key areas in which we've seen a marked difference in approach, apart from the change in tone, which we'll take as a given, but in terms of policy from the Trump to the Biden administrations? Well, I think one area you mentioned at the beginning was the number of executive orders Joe Biden has signed. Now, um, that he used that uh you know, that um, tool, if you like, to reverse so many measures that were introduced by Donald Trump. Now, the problem is when you introduce something by executive order, which you can kind of literally just sign, uh, the problem is that when the next president comes along, they can just reverse that the way Biden is now reversing some of Trump's measures. So in order to really uh, introduce sub- substantive change, you, you really needed through to do it through legislation. But in saying that, he's done a lot. Um, I think climate change has been a big change. Um he, as promised, announced that America would rejoin the Paris Climate Agreement. Uh, and he also signed up to new targets for the United States. Um, with the summit they had here, the White House hosted a, an Earth Summit on April 22nd. Um, and the US committed to having the its carbon emissions by 2030. Again, people are going to really watch that to see if that actually happens. Obviously, the next big um, moment is the, the COP um, conference in Scotland uh, towards the end of this year. So that, that was a very important moment. Um, on immigration, he reversed some of Donald Trump's bans. For example, his ban on Muslim-majority countries that Donald Trump introduced in the early days, weeks of his own presidency. Uh, Biden reversed that. Also, things like um, restrictions on transgender people serving in the military, that was, was changed. Um, and then, of course, on foreign policy, uh, the big announcement there was that he will withdraw all U.S. troops from Afghanistan, Afghanistan by, the, by September, by the 20th anniversary of uh, the September 11th attacks. That's a hugely controversial decision. Um, but I think that's probably, you know, the, the, the big piece from his foreign policy agenda so far. But nevertheless, Suzanne, I suppose foreign policy is an area in which some of his policies are kind of closely aligned to those of Trump. I mean, you mentioned Afghanistan, but that was Trump was also intent on withdrawing troops from Afghanistan, maybe at an earlier date. Um, but in general, is foreign policy an area in which maybe we haven't seen as much of a break from the Trump administration as we might have anticipated? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things to say on that. Um, number one is we may see more of an emphasis on foreign policy just more generally in the next 100 days, for example. Biden, when he was when he won the election, made it very clear that his um, his focus in the first few months would be on the domestic front. And of course, the COVID pandemic, I, I didn't mention that that's part of the, the whole economic plan, but also it's taken up a lot of bandwidth trying to get the vaccination program um, up and running, which he has done very successfully. So he's really kind of riding high on the back of that. Um, so we kind of expected the focus to be on domestic issues. And the, you know, the implication has been then he will turn to foreign policy issues. So um, from that point of view, yes, I expect a lot more focus on those kind of things in the next few months. Um, we're going to see, first and foremost, we're going to see his first foreign um, trip abroad. And that will be next month. Uh, Joe Biden will visit England, visit Cornwall for the G7 summit and then he will go on to, to Brussels for a NATO meeting and also an EU-US summit. Um, so that's going to be, you know, that's hugely significant. It, it's also very symbolic in, in that 
Donald Trump's first trip abroad was uh, to Saudi Arabia, I believe. So that kind of said a lot about his priorities in terms of alliances and foreign policy. Uh, instead, Joe Biden is kind of living up to his promise to restore transatlantic relations by visiting uh, the UK and, and Belgium. Um, on, you know, on the fringes of that um, will be a possible meeting between Biden and Putin, which will be hugely significant if it happens. Uh, Joe Biden was asked about this this week and, and basically said, yes, plans are in train. So they, uh, the administration is a, a reportedly trying to find some kind of country neutral space, if you like, where this meeting would take place. Um, obviously, Donald Trump met Putin in Helsinki the last time. Not sure if that's uh, Finland again is an obvious place. But um, if that meeting takes place, yes, would be would be uh, would be very important. Um, also, in terms of, you know, Joe Biden's gaffes, his his remarks in an interview uh, recently where he described Putin as a killer was seen, you know, as misjudged. And um, that might be something that comes back to haunt him, if you like. But it, it is interesting that meeting is going to take place, it looks like. Um, but as you say there, in terms of his foreign policy and how radical has he, has he actually been? Yes, I think that that's a very fair point. On Afghanistan, I mean, a lot of people are disappointed uh, by his uh, his tactics here that he said he was going to withdraw. And um, I mean, the Taliban have made it very clear that they believe this is going to be a win for them. People are worried that Afghanistan is going to slide back into civil war uh, and that this is kind of an arbitrary date, uh, if you like. So, um, you know, let's see what happens there. But that is unlikely to go, you know, he does, the American troops are already beginning to um, there's reports about air bases that were the center of uh, different military bases that were the center of American activity in Afghanistan. They're slowly, they're now being emptied out where troops are just leaving. So um, let's see how that plays out. That could that could cause problems for Biden. Um, the other thing is uh, he, China is, is, is going to be a major focus indeed of his whole presidency. And in a sense, you know, he's copied Donald Trump's stance on this. Uh, Donald Trump took on China in a trade war, essentially. And Joe Biden so, shows no sense that he's going to reverse that. Um, he has used quite belligerent language against China. Uh, his Secretary of State have called China out, has called China out on human rights abuses, um, its situation in Hong Kong and Taiwan. In saying that, we've seen a little bit of pragmatism by Joe Biden. For example, he sent John Kerry, his climate envoy to Beijing just before the climate summit on in April uh, to see if there was any common ground between China and the United States on climate. Um, so a little bit more maybe nuanced, but uh, that's going to be a huge issue for Biden. He's, you know, he's talking about uh, these, you know, um, the the leadership style of, of Xi. He's talking about, you know, people have liked this to maybe, you know, a new Cold War uh, but now Blinken, the Secretary of State, pressed back on that thing. No, that's not where we are at the moment. Um, but that's likely to be a very dominant uh, theme. Then the other thing would be the Middle East. He hasn't really uh, engaged in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict so far. Um, you know, he is restoring some aid to the Palestinians, but, you know, he's not moving the embassy in Israel um, back to Tel Aviv. That That's not going to happen. 
so yeah, we you know we haven't seen that much new from Donald from from Joe Biden in terms of this foreign policy. As I say, that might change uh, in the next few months. By the way, I think we heard a low flying aircraft, Susanna, at the start of your, your answer there, just when you were talking about Joe Biden travelling again. But that was that was real. It wasn't a sound effect introduced by the, the producer here. Um, just a, one other question on the foreign policy, a particular issue, of course, is the Iran nuclear deal. And that was an agreement signed between Iran and several world powers in 2015. And it saw Iran agree to curb curbs on its nuclear activities in exchange for an easing of Western sanctions. And it was a signature achievement of the Obama presidency and it was seen by supporters as key to bringing about long-term stability in the Middle East. And Donald Trump, as we know, repudiated the deal, took the US out of it. Now, many assumed that Joe Biden would revive the deal and bring the US back in, but he hasn't done that yet and it's not clear if you will. What do you think is going on there? Yes, it's quite interesting. He he said he was going to, you know, return to the Iran nuclear deal, but there's, it's quite conditional, if you like. You know, it hasn't been um, a full return. Now, that was always, I suppose, too ambitious. I mean, that was never going to happen. The problem is that so much of the deal has already unraveled. Um, so what's happening at the moment is that um, there are talks going on in Geneva. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're very paused, but, you know, the, there, are, there is engagement going on. And there were reports, mixed reports about a possible kind of a prisoner swap um, going on. Um, and there has been, you know, diplomatic contact. So there is expectation that maybe something um, might happen there. In saying that, I think the problem for Biden is that um, he, you know, this remains an unpopular deal, a very unpopular deal among Republicans, like hugely, uh, hugely unpopular. Donald Trump was very much supported by Republicans in coming out of that Iran nuclear deal because a lot of Republicans felt like they were, you know, rewarding Iran for its belligerent behavior. Um, but a lot of Democrats, too, do, didn't like it. They didn't sign up originally to the deal when it was agreed under President Obama. Um, so they're going to be looking closely at any, you know, concessions um, that are going to be part of this. Um, and they're going to be looking at the details of this plan. Like the Israelis are very opposed to any kind of um, US engagement with Iran. They believe that Iran, you know, they're regarded as an existential threat to their state. Um, so that's another aspect of this. So look, the Vienna discussions are happening in Vienna. The same progress is being made, but you know, whether there's going to be an imminent breakthrough or not uh, remains to be seen. And just then, Suzanne, to return to his domestic agenda, as you mentioned there at the outset, and you, you wrote an, an analysis piece at the weekend in which you said that he's governing far more to the left than even, you know, his rivals in the Democratic race, such as Elizabeth Warren and, and Bernie Sanders, might have ever thought possible. What do you think is going on here? Is this Biden's inner radical coming out, or is he doing all this with an eye to keeping... Uh, the, the left wing of the Democratic Party on board with them. Yeah, I think it's it's a, it, it's some of all of those things. I mean, one of the most kind of interesting, I think, relationships at the moment is between Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders is now the the chair of the Senate Budget Committee, much to the the horror of a lot of Republicans. So he's quite a powerful figure in the Senate, and um, you know, he has he he is working with the White House on a lot of these measures. Now, some of them don't go far. Most of them don't go far enough for Bernie Sanders. Um, for example, in the first rescue package that Biden introduced, there were attempts to increase the federal minimum minimum wage to fifteen dollars, but that that just couldn't get through. There wasn't enough support for that. So Sanders said he's looking at other measures. Um, but you know, on the left, they've really responded very well to Biden. Even people like AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and younger members um of the House, 
um, who have been pleasantly surprised by this. But I do think, you know, we do have to think about, there's the other aspect we have to keep in mind, as I said before, that let's see how radical these measures kind of are when we see the finished product, you know, as, as this might be the, the peak and he may move back to the centre from now on. Um, he may have to and he may choose to. Um, but I do think we do need to keep in mind that the, the personality here, and this is a man um, at, let's let's face it, the end, towards the end of his career, and I think he he knows that, you know, he doesn't, we don't know if he's going to run again. Um, but I think he is, with an eye to his legacy, uh, he does feel that he wants to do something that is a bit more long-lasting. Uh, it, it's no coincidence. I mean, the, the comparisons with FDR, uh, I think, that, you know, they're apt at the moment. Roosevelt uh, shepherded in this huge uh, expansion of the economy during his first 100 days, the New Deal program. Obviously, that was during the Depression in the 1930s. But Biden does have a portrait of FDR in, in the White House um, as he works every day. So I, I do think there is more than, you know, he is of the moment, but I think he is also stepping back and seeing himself, seeing his legacy, seeing what he can do. And the fact that I think what works in terms of his personality is that it's very hard to paint him as a radical in a sense, you know, he's this grandfatherly figure who's always been a centrist, was kind of middle of the ground during all his decades in Congress. Um, Republicans in Congress kind of know him for years. And, you know, it, it, it's hard to paint him as a kind of AOC radical type. Uh, so I think that's helping him to kind of have slipped through a lot of these measures. It's only now that people are, are thinking about how potentially transformative they could be for the US economy. So I think, yeah, kind of right man at the right time kind of, of thing. Um, but again, I suppose it's probably, I mean, we, we need to be careful, me included, about reading too much into this. It is still only the very, very beginning of his presidency. So let's see when, and we are in this kind of, not quite a wartime footing, but things have been suspended because of COVID. Now that the US economy is beginning to reopen and return to some normalcy, you know, I think the, the context in which he will be working will have changed dramatically. And being a centrist, he has always been a consensus politician and he talked a lot about working across the aisle when he became president. Now that's a particular, particularly difficult act in the current climate in American politics. How is he succeeding in that so far? Yeah, that's quite interesting because um, he's at, yes, you're absolutely right. This, this was one of his calling cards during the election. He, he made the point all the time, I don't want to burn things down. I've got a track record of working with Republicans when I need to and that's how we bring the country together. In fact, what is quite amusing is that a lot of Republicans have said, where's that Joe Biden gone? You know, he, he hasn't been reaching out to us. So at the very beginning, um, when he had his first American rescue plan, he invited members of the Republican Party to the White House. They had a they had a discussion. He was talking about bipartisanship. Ultimately, Biden kind of went ahead anyway and pushed through that bill with the, the budget reconciliation procedure. So he didn't really need the votes of Republicans. I think um, part of this is that Democrats um, were, um, and Obama and Biden were burned um, when they arrived at the White House. That was a time of a huge financial crash and they introduced a, a, a very uh, very ambitious uh, financial rescue plan. And at that time, they tried you know, to negotiate Republicans to bring them on board. There was lots of outreach, but ultimately those Republicans ended up kind of voting against it anyway. And I think that's what Biden has learned a hard lesson, that they could have even been more ambitious because Republicans were never really going to back them when it came to it anyway. So I think that attitude is inflecting his his dealings with Republicans now. Um, 
so you're right that that's a really interesting point but he essentially has not really followed through on that he hasn't ruled and and giving you know the hand of friendship across the aisle as much as people would have thought um he may need them with other maybe foreign policy decisions or you know but on this he's taking the gamble to try and use every um every technical procedure open to democrats and uh, to push everything through i mean the other thing we should mention as well is that in talking about you know how history will judge him and does he see this as a legacy democrats now i mean it's a very narrow majority but they do control all houses they do control the house the senate and the white house that does not always happen and it's almost like biden is running with that now because the midterm elections you know are next november and it's very likely very possible the democrats could lose control of one if not two of those you know of the houses of congress so you know this might be his big moment to get these these measures through uh, through um but if that political configuration of the center of the ha- or the house was to change well then you know that's the end of that level of ambition um he would then um have to work much more closely uh, with republicans okay Suzanne. well i think we've covered a lot of ground there just like joe biden in his first 100 days thanks for that and that's all for this week for more on this and other stories go to irishtimes.com thanks for listening goodbye for now